0: Tonight we read how God commands Noah to build a boat because it's going to rain. It's going to rain! Now God gives him instructions. It says this, Make yourself an ark of gopher wood. Make rooms in the ark and cover it inside and out with pitch. This is how you are to make it. The length of the ark, 300 cubits. Its breadth, 50 cubits. And its height, 30 cubits. Make a roof for the ark and finish it to a cubit above and set the door of the ark in its side. Make with it lower, second, and third decks. Now a cubit was the length of a man's elbow to their fingertips, so it was about 19 to 20 inches in length, making the ark over 500 feet long. What I'm saying is, it was a big boat. And on top of that, it was designed and constructed so well that it was able to hold every kind of animal for the 40 days of rain, plus the 150 days waiting on the waters to recede. To fully grasp this magnitude, Ken Ham in Kentucky actually reconstructed Noah's Ark and for sure it's on my list to go see. Oh, one last note, it's interesting how the Hebrew word for ark is tabah, which is the same word used in Exodus when baby Moses is placed in a tabah down the Nile River. In both cases, the tabah is saving God's people, which is what Noah's Ark is all about salvation. So there you go. A little bit about Noah's Ark and that's enough today for our historical minute.
1: Let us pray. God, you're an awesome God and we thank you just for living in Arizona during this time of year and just for the great weather and thank you for an amazing weekend with the guys up in Prescott. Ask, ask, Lord, as we dig into your word again that you continue to send us your spirit, a spirit of understanding, a spirit of comfort, a spirit of conviction, and it's just the truth, Lord, that you love us so much, and that's why you've given us this word, and that's why you've given us Jesus, and that's why you continue to pursue us as we go through life. Father, we thank you for your love, and we pray this in Jesus' name, and all God's people said, amen. amen. So today I want to begin, I'm going to backtrack just a tad, just a few verses. I'm starting uh, Genesis 6, verse 5. And I'm just going to read this first line, then I'm going to talk about it for a little bit. It says, The Lord saw the witness of man was great in the earth, and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. I had an interesting um, question. I got back from the retreat just about the time the 11 o'clock service was letting out, and I had a neat conversation with one of our youth. And, and she asked this question. She goes, Why did God make all the sin on the earth? But isn't that a question you hear in different ways? You read through this section, it says the Lord saw the wickedness of man that was great on the earth and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And they say, why? Why did God do that? And so I ask you, did God do that? No. See, God is an amazing God. He set up, just for review, he set up this amazing garden and he placed mankind inside of it. And he says, follow me. Just do any, don't eat of the tree of the The knowledge of of good and evil, right? Just don't do that one thing. That that will be a way that I know that you love me. That will be a way of you worshiping me. I've created this whole thing just for you guys. And Adam and Eve, during a weak moment, they chose not to obey God. If you just extrapolate that over years, the reason there's sin in the world is not because God created sin. It's because people over and over decided that they didn't want to obey God, follow God, trust God with their life. And so God says, go this way, and they've continually, we've continually gone in a different direction. I was talking to a gal one time, and she was so mad at God because of the divorce that he allowed happen in her life. And I said, you know, God didn't want that divorce. He says he hates divorce. God didn't want him to have an affair. He hates affairs. It's one of the top seven. He did not commit adultery. There's no part of God that wanted you to get divorced or wanted you go to the pain through the pain of what you went through Wanted you to deal with what you did have to go through the pain of a divorce. None of that was in God's plan for your lives somewhere along the line you said I don't want to go that way anymore I want to go this way Somewhere in that relationship it got all convoluted and all confused and all Kind of thrown up into the air and right was wrong and wrong was right and and up was down and down was up and God's way seems too hard and so I want to go this way. The reason there's sin in the world is not because God doesn't love us, not because he didn't set things in a way that are good for us, not that he hasn't been super clear about what right and wrong is, it's because we, they, all of mankind didn't want to follow And so when you start reading through this kind of stuff, the Lord saw that the weakness of man was great in the earth and that every intention of their thoughts and their hearts was only evil continually. It's not God's fault. It's ours. The Lord was, was sorry for the fact that he had made man on earth and it grieved him to his heart. It's kind of a funny thing when you think about that. It's not that God is somehow affected by us, other than that we're his kids. And he created us to love us. And, and he had this plan and he still has a plan. And I guess part of that plan was, was sifting out those that would love him and those that wouldn't. He didn't want to make us all love him. He wanted to give us a choice. He wanted to give us the ability to, to love him, to trust him with our lives and, and also the ability not to. But Satan had so confused the world, man had embraced that confusion. Sin makes us stupid. They embraced the stupidity. And almost the whole of mankind at this time had rejected God, had rejected his ways, had decided not to follow him. And so the Lord said, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of this land, man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heaven, for I'm sorry that I made them. Now, it's just interesting is my wife was talking to somebody at work one time and, and they were talking about the flood for whatever reason. And the lady she was talking to believed that there was a regional flood. And so I want you to keep that in mind as we go through and see if there's anything in Scripture that would lead you to believe there was a regional flood. Let me read this again. So the Lord said, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the earth. Man and animals, creeping things and birds of the heavens, for I'm sorry that I've made them. Does this sound just regional or is that kind of a more of a general statement so far? It, we'll, we'll come back to that. But then it says, Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. Oh, and let me just read this next part as we begin in verse 9. It says, for the generations of Noah, Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his generation. Noah walked with God and Noah had three sons, Shem, Ham, and Jepheth. When you start reading through this, it's not that Noah was this incredibly righteous guy. He didn't do everything right. He was not sinless, right? He did not merit God's salvation because he was a good guy, because he did everything right. But God looked down and on the whole face of the earth, there was just one guy that seemed to trust him, right? Faith, trust, same thing, right? One guy that seemed to want to know him. One guy that seemed to want to follow him. God would have been just at wiping Noah away with the rest of them. Noah's sins were great, just like all of ours are great. But man, Noah, Noah Noah's trying, and Noah trusted him. How can I say that? Because when he said, build a boat, he built a boat. And so God looked down on all the face of the earth, and he saw Noah that still worshiped him, that still was trying to go the way that he called them to go, that still trusted him with their lives. You to think about that. We just came off a weekend where we were learning about Luther. And one of the things that just struck me about Luther again was I mean, he, he dug into the scriptures and he refound the truth for the church that had been lost, it seems, in the Catholic hierarchy. And he started sharing that with everybody. And the Pope started coming down on him. Back then heretics were burned at the stake. I mean, it was a short-lived or a short lifespan if you started going against the Pope. And Luther just he was so convicted by the truth. That when it came time for him to recant, he said, I can't do it. Here I stand, I can do no other. He was willing to put his life on the line for the truth of God. Even when peer pressured by the Pope, even when when essentially given a death threat, a death warrant by the Pope, he wouldn't turn. I know people that have um, left churches that have decided to walk away from the truth. And that's the reason they decided to leave those churches. The church started teaching things that weren't scriptural anymore, and they had a decision to make. Do we want to keep listening to this, or do we want to hear the truth? There's, I only think there's one good reason to leave a church, and I think that's it. If the church stops teaching the truth, it's time to look for a church that will teach the truth. truth is found in Scripture, not the truth that's found in my imagination, right? But think about what that entails, they believed in the truth so much. They loved God so much. They wanted to be surrounded and growing in his truth and his love and his grace that they were willing to part friends, were willing to part, I don't know, the, the, this building, this, this place that they had been part of for a long time, friends, family, all that, the, the history that goes back with there Some of them baptized kids. Some of them got married there. They were leave, really willing to leave all that to pursue a new place and a new church in hopes that they would hear the truth. Back a few years, there was a church body that uh, made some very purposeful uh, decisions to part from Scripture and to embrace um, different teachings. And in that church body, there was a group of pastors that says we can't do that. Kind of like Luther, Luther here we stand. We, we can't go that direction. We've, we've got to leave the church. And the consequences of that was they lost the church building. They had spent, in some cases, 30, 40 years building because it was part of the church. So they had to walk away and start up anew. In some cases, they lost retirement. Some cases, they had to relook for health benefits, lost friends, were condemned by the church body they walked away from, all in effort to be known as a remnant that would teach the truth. And I commend those churches, and they um, are still doing some powerful ministry. But there were some guys that stayed because when it came down to losing their retirement, I don't know is the truth that important? Is God's love that important? Maybe we can just kind of stay in the midst of this, in the midst of this, you know, way that we're going. This kind of evil. It's kind of wrong. We know it's kind of wrong and kind of evil, but man, I don't want to give up my retirement. Some didn't want to give up the building. Some didn't want to give up their friends. It's an interesting thing when you think about the whole world going evil, right? Where every inclination of their heart and mind was evil all the time. How in the world does that happen? And so I'll just ask anybody who's over 40, is the childhood that you experienced growing up the same childhood that your kids are growing up in? Is it morally the same? Do we hold to as many, not that back then was perfect by any stretch, but do we hold to as many things scripturally as we used to? back when you were a kid. So just in general, we have taken a step away from this, not just in the broader church, right, for some, but, but in our culture. And we said this is less important, and we're going to pursue a different way. And so there was a decision to say, God says, I want you to come this way. This is what I told you is true. But there's been a conscious decision to say, well, we know better, or we want to do our own thing, or... We want to be our own boss. And so it starts to walk away from God. And when you start walking away from God in his truth and his ways, things get evil. And they progressively get evil. In the boomer generation, it said that 97 plus percent of people had been to a church at least once. In the Gen X generation, and this is a 15-year-old stat now, Gen X generation, it said that 47% had been to a church at least once. In one generation... Half the people left the church. Millennial generation haven't heard the stat, but it's much worse than that. Again, those are just evidences of a culture that has said, we want to do our own thing. We want to go our own direction. And when you start doing things your own way, in your own direction, we call that sin. And sin is evil, and sin has negative consequences, and sin breaks things, and sin causes problems. And when you have sin, what it is, it's a result of not trusting God's promises. And when you don't have trust in your life for a God who is omnipotent, and a God who loves you, and a God who cares, and a God who is leading you the right way, you make it up as you go. And if you don't have trust, what you end up with is fear. And so you try to create a way to deal with that fear. And lots of times you, you, you in arrogance try to go your own way, thinking if you can control everything, then, then it will be okay. Or you go the other way, and you get to a place of hopelessness. And so as we read through here some of these evidences when you have fear you try to control things so you see a loss of freedom and a loss of 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 of, of what did i hear safety and, and different things and so it says now the earth was corrupt in god's sight and the earth was filled with violence why these people weren't walking this way they were more and more consumed with sin and so people were taking matters into their own hands and god saw the earth and behold it was corrupt for all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth And God said to Noah, I have determined to make an end of all flesh, for the earth is filled with violence through them. Behold, I will destroy them with the earth. So this is not like today. Things can get a lot worse because we're all sitting here. We're more than eight people. We're more than the one guy that God saw that trusted him. There's many more churches out there of people who believe in God and his truth and all those different things. So we're in a much different world than than Noah was. But imagine if things had keeps going this way and people leave God more and more in their rearview mirror and less and less people are going to church to hear his word. And pretty soon you get to a place where it's not 47% or 30% or 15%, 1%. And then, pretty soon, it's just you. Imagine what that world would be like if you were the only one holding to God's truth. So God looked down, and, and is God being rash here? Is He being unsympathetic to the state of mankind at this point? By the way, this has been a thousand plus years between creation and the flood. Some estimate as million as two billion people around the earth. Conservative estimates are, are tens of millions. On the face of the earth, is not an insignificant amount of people that are alive at this time. And as one, they have rejected God and his truth. Rejected his prophets. Directed the... <laughs> um, have rejected his creation. Have rejected all the efforts that he would make to try to get a hold of them, to try to bring them back. Again, it's not God's fault that there's sin in the world. And God is long-suffering and God is patient. I want you to think of those of you that are parents and your kid has gone off this direction or this direction. Do you stop loving them when they do that? No, you continue to love them and you continue to hurt when they make bad decisions and you continue to hope that they return and you continue to pray for them all the time. But there is a point in that relationship where they can actually break it. If it goes sour enough if it goes bad enough god's patience eventually does wear out in this case a thousand years was enough and yet it wasn't just like he's through the flood and surprised everybody we just learned last week right that he gave a 120 year warning I'm coming in 120 years to rectify things. Turn back to me. So you go through the prophets, Jeremiah. It was right up to the place where Israel was was run over by Babylon and and everybody was taken out and all these people were killed. He says, turn back to me. Even now, I will stay my hand. God continues to give us second chances and third chances and bajillionth chances. He continues to call us back to him because he loves us so much. But eventually, in his righteousness, and it says in his jealousy and in his anger, he judges. And he judged mankind with the flood, and he'll come again to judge the living and the dead. Let me get to a few questions. What would have happened if only Adam or Eve ate of the apple of the tree of good and evil? Don't know. I would imagine that that one would die immediately and they would start over with the one that was left. But they both ate, they were both complicit, Um, they both in total rebelled against God. So it doesn't tell us and I I don't know. Do do you think Noah received death threats for being one of the last ones to still trust in God? Or did they just laugh and let him be? What do you think? How do they treat um, anybody who shares the truth of God's word that's unpopular today? On the news, they treat us all good. Oh, you have a different opinion that's based on God's word. Oh, that's great. <laughs> no, no, they call us all sorts of things, but they don't say that. How about with your friends? If you share a truth that's in God's word, it's a hard truth. Maybe your kids are, are living together before they're supposed to get married, right? You know, that's still a sin, right? Is that a popular thing to share with your kids? No. No. Do they receive it gladly when you share it? Not often. There's all sorts of sin in the world, and when you confront certain sin, it's not always the most popular thing. I've had the opportunity over the years to confront people in different sin. Did you know not once did they shake my hand immediately and say, that's so awesome, Pastor. Thank you for confronting me. (laughs) Not once. Usually, almost always, they get mad at me. Who are you to tell me? And I'm like, well, I don't know. I'm the pastor. You know, and and, uh, in almost every case, there have been a couple that have not gone this way. But in almost every case, they've come back to me and they have thanked me. But some, in their pride, they just reject everything and they, they don't care if it's true. They don't care if it's in God's word. They decide to go their own path. Tried to warn them to flee from the coming wrath, right? Which is what Jesus says, what John the Baptist says. But sometimes they don't hear and that's a risk of always if you share the truth and love There's always a risk that they can go the other way um, Was Satan already in existence in the time of creation when he, was he created? Uh, since he's not mentioned in the creation story, but is mentioned when Satan talked to Eve um, Satan was created as God one of God's preeminent angels at the beginning with great authority. I don't know if he was over all the angels. Scripture doesn't say, but he had great authority in the angelic world. He was one of God's prized creations. And then something happened that hit his pride. And God said, go this way. Satan couldn't go that way. And so he went this way. And he sinned against God, and a third of the angels actually went with him. Some people speculate that the thing that could have gotten Satan so upset— and understand, angels are created with way more powers, right? They can fly. They can, they're part of the spiritual realm. They're, they're smarter than we are. I mean, they've they got all this stuff going on. I mean, just as far as pure creation goes, they've got more stuff. They're way better. And part of God's setting up of the creative world— And this whole salvific plan that he has from the very beginning is for angels to serve man on God's behalf. They are created above us, but they are asked to serve below us. Some think that that's what hit Satan's pride. and He couldn't stomach it. He couldn't stand it. He couldn't do it. And that's what gathered a third of the angels around him. And they all left. But who knows, really? Just that God had said, I need you to do this. And a third of the angels and Satan decided to do this. When they decided to do that, God judged them immediately. There was no grace. There was immediate judgment. They were cast to the earth, cast out of hell. Some were put in dungeons, waiting their final punishment in the lake of fire. The whole civic plan has this uh, opportunity or this time for Satan to vent his fury, I guess, on mankind. He does that because he's not going to heaven and I guess he doesn't want anybody else to. He is not our friend, he's our enemy. He looks for our destruction, he wins. His ultimate win is if he gets you to commit suicide. That is the act of hopelessness and giving up totally. But he wins in so many ways if you just walk away from God and say, I don't wanna pay attention. And he tempts us all the time and he's there to destroy. And so Satan has been around since God created him. Predates the creation of the world, and you get that sense that that's true because he was given this job of taking care of, of serving Adam and Eve, and yet instead of doing so, he chose to manipulate and to trick Eve into doing something that was wrong. Now, was it Satan's sin that Eve ate the apple, or it the fruit? Is some wasn't an apple? Well, the fruit. No, it was Eve's sin, and then Adam's sin. All Satan can do is tempt. All Satan tries to do is create fear and confusion. Satan can't make you sin. Satan can't, well, I don't know. He can complicate your life in all sorts of ways, but he can't make you sin. And here's the other thing he can't do. He can't take you away from Jesus. Nothing can separate you from God's love. Nothing The only way you can lose your salvation, the only way you can lose eternity and your forgiveness is if you give it away and Satan's going to try to confuse you to do that. But don't, don't ever give it away and you will always have it. Only you have the power to flush it down the toilet. Only you have the power to lose it. Don't ever lose it. Don't ever do it. And here's the other cool thing. God's going to help you not lose that. And he sends you his spirit to comfort you and to teach you and to instruct you and to give you strength against the evil one. He doesn't leave you by yourself. And so today you are the chosen. Today you have the elect rejoice in that and never let it be something different. Uh, Number two, find it interesting that in Genesis 2.24 it reads, For this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife. If Adam and Eve are the only humans and there is no mother or father yet, what do you make of this? Ah... God told them to go forth and multiply, and that would make them father and mother, right? And so he's sharing with them right from the beginning his plan for marriage. Saying, this is how I want it to go forward. I don't want you to make it up as you go along. I want there to be a mom and a dad and kids. And when, when the kids get married, they can't stay with mom and dad. That is totally unhealthy. Don't do that, right? So, so go someplace else, right? You know, Start your new life and have your own kids, and then go forward. So right from the beginning, he sets up family. Right from the beginning, he sets up marriage, and he does it so that we don't make it up as we go along, because God had purpose, and he knows the right way and the wrong way, the healthy way and the unhealthy way to move forward. Here's a bit of a silly question, but something I've often wondered. The fig leaf causes the skin to itch when it touches the skin. Do you suppose it didn't when Adam and Eve used it to cover themselves? Possible curse God gave to the fig to the fig's, tree's leaves. Now, somebody shared this with me the other day. I did not know this. I, I'm sure they, I'm sure it itched back then. I, I'm sure, I'm sure they became very aware of their sin and they grabbed this next big leaf next to them and they went like this. And then... It started itching, but then all of a sudden God was calling them and they, you know, They weren't gonna take it off. So I bet that was the most uncomfortable conversation with God in every possible way. And a beautiful description of a consequence to sin. Okay? I don't know if that's true, but that would just be poetic justice. man. that was, I just thought that was great. all right, where am I? Okay, so he says, uh, verse 14, Make yourself an ark of gopher wood. Make rooms in the ark and cover it inside and out with pitch. This is how you are to make it. The length of the ark is 300 cubits, its breadth 50 cubits, and its height 30 cubits. Make a roof for the ark and finish it to a cubit above and set the door of the ark in, in its side. Make it, low, make it with lower, second, and third decks. Mike said it was uh, cubits the, the length of your arm to the end, right? Um, So some people say 450 to over 500 feet, like Mike was talking about. Um, One guy said that it had, um, oh, where is this? It could hold over 500 livestock railway cars or over 125,000 animals. And that's just a conservative estimate. It could be more than that if they didn't get fully adult ones and all that kind of stuff. Just gives you this si- the size, just a, a scope of the size of this thing. It also gives you a reason why it maybe took 120 years. Uh, that they didn't have shipbuilding stockyards. This was his backyard. So um, he might... <laughs> He was in the middle of the desert. They, they probably didn't have plans for this other than what God gave them. So it just took some time. Uh, to answer the other question, though, they lived in a, very, they, a world that had walked away from God. And we talked a little bit about the, the unsupportive nature of the media in terms of being Christian or, or how difficult it is to have Christian conversations with people that are walking away from God. If you're telling people, and he would have been one of the only ones telling people at that time, God's coming to judge What you're doing is wrong. He's he's upset. He wants you to turn from your sin. Isn't that what every prophet in the Old Testament said? Turn from your sin. Isn't that what John the Baptist said? Isn't that what Jesus said? Isn't that what Peter said all the way through the Bible? Turn from your sin. They would either thought he was a nut job. There would have been a lot of people. Maybe it took 120 years because they kept, you know, burning the stuff that he was starting or or complicating his work. You, You don't know. But the reality is they probably weren't very supportive. He probably at the very minimum was very mocked. He may very well have gone under some different persecution. It would be weird if the whole world had turned away from God and he alone was left and for some reason didn't experience any kind of persecution at all. It wouldn't make sense. It isn't true with any part of uh, other part of history. And so the boldness of this guy not only to begin building a boat in the middle of the desert, why? Because he trusted God. I'll just ask this. How many of you guys would build a boat if God asked you to in your backyard? Anybody see uh, *Evan Almighty? I I, I love that movie. um, And and the reason I love it is it gives you a little bit of a picture of how people would respond. Right? He's building a boat. News crews would come. You'd be a laughing stock. Building a boat in Arizona. Size of a tanker. I mean, you know, just it's huge. And so he trusted God enough in the midst of everything that was going on, in the midst of the negative feedback, in the midst of the persecution, in the midst of everything. He trusted that God had a plan, even when it meant being embarrassed. Here I stand. Where, where else am I going to go? You're the only God. You're my God. You asked me to do this. I have to do this. And it just challenges us, I think, on so many levels. Are we willing to follow God, even when it's hard? What are we willing to risk for Him? What are we willing to do for him? Are we even willing to follow him if we don't like what he says? Question, to put the size of the ark into perspective, we measured it from the gate of the courtyard to the neighbor's wall to the north of the campus is the length of the ark. That's cool. Um, Question, do angels sin if Satan rejected God in what ways? I don't know. Uh, Scripture doesn't share. You would imagine though, if Satan could reject God, then they are given some element of free will. Because a third of the angels chose to rebel against God. So then you would think that the two-thirds that are left are obedient and they love God because he's God. How cool is that? And the ones that are the living, the believers here on earth will join those believing angels in heaven for all of eternity. But again, I, I just want to be honest. There's something scripture doesn't tell us. And so you, you try to figure it out based on the rest of scripture. And so that would be my best answer. For behold, I will bring a flood of waters upon the earth to destroy all flesh in which the breath of life under heaven. Everything that, again, everything that is on the earth shall die. Does it sound like a regional flood? Show of hands. Not yet. Okay. But I will establish my covenant with you and you shall come into the ark, you and your sons and your wife and your sons' wives with you. And of every living thing of all flesh, you shall bring two of every sort into the ark to keep them alive with you. They shall be male and female. Okay, so not only is he trusting God to build this magnificent structure of a boat that he's going to get on to spare him from this destruction that God is bringing on the earth, God says, go and get two of every animal. That's got to be almost, if the boat wasn't overwhelming enough, that's overwhelming enough. How, How in the world do you want me to do that? Again love the movie Evan Almighty because God just bring him, brought all the animals to him and I think ultimately That's what probably had to happen in in Noah's case Because how in the world do you absolutely and it's not just getting one over 120 years It's getting probably one that's still in childbearing years, right? And it means that you got it the last few years anyway And so it, it, the impossibility of the task is obviously enormous and it would have taken the hand of God a miracle to bring those animals the whole story of the ark is one miracle after another. It's Noah trusting that somehow, some way God would provide. God would provide the wisdom to build this boat. He would provide the skill to build this boat. He would provide the, the animals that were to go on the boat. He would protect them from all the people that were trying to, to harm them or complicate their work. He would protect them, protect them, protect them. And here's another element of grace. Grace. Not only could Noah go, but his kids and their wives and his spouse could go too. Nothing said about their faith. Yeah. You imagine they had some, and Noah was their dad and their husband. Um, but it didn't say they were got they got in on their own merits. They got to go because of Noah. Again, God gives grace, undeserved love sometimes. And he just says, You're mine. The fact that you're here tonight is because God looked over this whole earth and he says, You're mine, and I love you, and I'm going to keep on providing, and I'm going to keep on caring, and I'm going to keep on working with you until you're with me in heaven. Great is the grace of God. And I don't understand more than that he just says, I love you, and I picked you, and I chose you, and I'm not going to let you go. And of every living thing of all flesh, you shall bring two of every sword into the ark and keep them alive with you. They shall be male and female. That was another trick. He had to keep them alive. Uh, how many of you guys have ever had a goldfish? <laughs> Better this. How many of you guys have ever had a kid that had a goldfish? <laughs> Yeah, uh, so he had to keep them alive too at uh, this thing. Another miracle. Of the birds according to their kinds, and of the animals according to their kinds, of every creeping thing on the ground according to its kind. Two of every sort shall come to you, I'm sorry, shall come into you to keep them alive, and take with you every sort of food that is eaten, and store it up, and it shall serve as food for you and for them. Okay, another miracle. He wasn't just talking about 40 days worth of food for him and the 120,000 animals that he had. He was talking, sustaining them for a period of probably over two years, right? It was about 300 plus days just on the ship. And the waters would have needed to recede and growth would have needed to happen. It would have been at least a season before they would have eaten from the fruit of the ground. So two, two and a half years worth of food that he's also putting on this ship to sustain them and the animals to keep them alive during this period. And then it just said, Noah did this. He did all that God commanded him. You know, you read through scripture and there's just some guys that just blow you away. This guy does. He obeyed God completely. Abraham, go to this this land that you don't know about and and I'm going to give it to you. And to all your descendants, and he didn't have any kids, but he's like, all right. And he goes... And then later on, he gives them this kid, this kid of the promise, this kid when they're in their old age. They should never have been able to have him, but they have him. He's the kid that's, that's going to you know, be the father of all the descendants that he has. I mean, this is the key to the promise. And God says, I need you to sacrifice him to me. He said, Okay. And he didn't end up having to do that. If you know the story, and God was testing his, his trust, he was testing his um, priority for God. Do you love him most? But there's times in Scripture where you just read through these incredible things and these men of faith, they just trusted and they said, okay. And I don't know how it's going to look and I don't know how it's going to work and and I I just know that God said, go this way, so I'm going to go this way. I think there's application today. I know for some of you as you read through this, there's some things in here. Our culture has changed so much away from this and you read it and you don't like what it says. But God says, I need you to trust me. I love you so much. I've got a better plan for you. I wanna take care of you. And I need you to follow me to do that. And if you can be a person of faith that just says, okay, I don't know how it's gonna look and I don't know how to go forward and I don't know how it's actually gonna all work out, but I know that God's got me and I know he's working this for my good. And I promise you, God always makes it possible to be faithful. And as you go through Scripture, man, there's a blessing on the other side. My prayer today is not just that we would know what's in this book, but that we trust these words with our life. That we would trust it even when it's hard. Even when our world says it's a different way. Because we trust God more. And we know his truth is something that is to our benefit and to our safety and to our protection and for our eternity. That we just say, okay, we're gonna put our whole lives into your hands, God. Protect us, give us strength, and hold us tight. Guys, great is the love of our God. He loves you so much, but his call is always to follow him. His call is always to trust. Let's pray. God, we love you so much. And tonight we just thank you for being able to take a look at Noah a little bit. He's a remarkable guy, not because he was without sin, but just because he said, okay, build a boat. Okay, God. No, I'm going to destroy the world. I need you to do these things. Okay, God. No, I'm going to protect you as you go through this time. No, I'm going to provide for you as you go through this time. No, I'm going to make sure that you get to the other side of this. Just trust me. And this cry was, okay, Lord. Father, we pray tonight that you would send us your spirit and give us, mature in us, work in us this kind of trust that when you call us to follow, we can. That we say, okay, Lord. And it doesn't mean we're not going to fall sometimes and it doesn't mean we're not going to fail sometimes. But we trust that as we follow you, you will keep on rescuing us, and you will keep on picking us up, and you will keep on forgiving us and renewing us and strengthening us until we get to the other side. Father, we thank you for your love, and we thank you for Jesus. And we pray this in his name and all God's people said, amen. Amen.